Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing research that has been written up in horse um, thehorse.com. Isn't it, Nancy, that's the right... Yeah, it's kind of a um, a magazine for horse owners, and they focus on research um, uh, just about twice a week, I think. And they're owned by Blood Horse, which is a big uh, thoroughbred publication. And um, this was actually a um, conference proceeding from the American Association of Equine Practitioners 2021 convention. And um, it's a really good overview of what the research is currently showing. So this paper is, well, this article is about equine asthma. And it's something that many of you will be familiar with, but you mightn't be familiar with the term equine asthma. So equine asthma is kind of a new buzzword that researchers and vets are using to describe um, airway irritation, um, inflammatory airway disease, heaves, recurrent airway obstruction. I think we've mentioned chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in one of our other episodes. So there's all these airway diseases that we get with horses and having so many different terms makes it difficult, I think, for owners to sometimes visualize or conceptualize what is actually going on. So they're moving towards trying to use an overall term of equine asthma and saying we can have mild equine asthma or severe equine asthma. And the idea behind this is that it then gets more people aware of the disease and also just brings to the front how prevalent this is. And this is something I didn't realize until I read this. So this this actual article is written by Erica Larson, but it is based on um, that convention that Nancy mentions, and it's Dr. Laurent Coutil, who has done research on this that will hopefully be published in the near future. And it'd be great for us to be able to go through that paper. But the big thing for me was reading this and realizing they make the point that equine asthma doesn't discriminate. So it affects horses, whether they're young, old, male, female, large, small, all breeds, in all climates, in all geographical regions. So many of you will already have been affected by this in your own barns or with your own horses at home. It causes respiratory distress. It causes reduced performance. And then it, depending on how severe it is, can cause other problems too. So I think how common it is was really quite a shock to me. Um, It says it could be found. So the mild to moderate equine asthma could be found in about 13 to 22% of racehorses. But this was based on evidence of excess mucus in the trachea. 
But when researchers looked into this doing a bronchi alveolar lavage, so that's where they put a small amount of fluids down into the lung and then they siphon the fluid back out of the lung and they do some cytology so they can actually grow the bacteria that's present in that fluid from the lung. So the researchers that carried this out found that actually that mild to moderate equine asthma can be as high as 80 to 95% in thoroughbred and standard bred racehorses in Europe and the United States. So to me, that was absolutely mind-blowing. Up to 95% of racehorses could have this mild to moderate irritation. Yeah, that I thought that number was much higher than what I would have thought. And um, I think uh, the way that now they have renamed it, I think it helps all of us to understand more about what's going on, that it's actually an asthma that affects the bronchial tubes and it's constricting them where the air can't get through. So once people understand the condition, then their management tends to change a little bit because they understand what they're fighting against. And the interesting thing too is that they found the more severe version of it is um, affects an estimated 14% of horses living in cool climates. Yeah, I don't know why I had in my head that it would be kind of the hotter climates where you'll have more dust particles that that would be more of an issue. But actually, it's in the Northern Hemisphere, the severe equine asthma seems to be a little bit more prevalent. But a big thing with this is they were discussing, so dust particles play a role in that mild version. And then the more severe version tends to be linked to mold. And that can be from hay or um, in the barn or in the bedding even. So exposure to that is what triggers the more severe response. But I wanted to ask you, actually, Nancy, do you find that, you know, I'm sure we discussed at one point before the different kinds of grounds on the racetracks. Are there some that are more sand-like? Well, um, the thing is that in America, the horses are stalled. They really only... Um, are out of the stall during training hours. So you've got a huge amount of bedding that they're living in. And they're usually housed with 20, 30, 40 horses in the same building. So you've got different uh, little like stables and each stable, a trainer usually has half of it or whatever their stall count is they will take up a portion of a, a stable, but you've got in on some tracks, you've got nine to 1500 horses housed. So when you have that many horses inside the, sometimes the ventilation isn't what it should be. And also um, the type of bedding that's used, it can also bring in that dust. And then you also have um, the fungi that can be in 
an older stall or older stable um, also in bedding and in hay. And I would think probably on pasture horses, the amount of molds and dust and pollens and all that can come from the grasses and then a round bale because those round bales are, are produced so tight. If you've ever seen a horse, I mean, they stick their whole head in there to get to the good center. And a lot of times that center portion has more molds and um, endophyte toxins and all that. And I always kind of um, look at that as being, you know, part of the problem in feeding round bales is they have a huge nostril area and they stick their head in there you'd much rather maybe have a horse um you know not not do that or not have their whole head immersed in the hay but uh anyway on the track i think it's more of a stalled condition and then also um you know fungi they've um tracked it to where that's also a major cause for this equine asthma and when they actually run on the racetrack would that be like sand particles more uh, or is that wet down well it, it no when it's a um you know when they're running if they're a, a late runner they're like behind the pack sometimes yeah. they come in and i mean their face is full of uh, clay and sand and whatever the mixture of that track is. And a lot of times it's in their eyes and it's, you know, in their nose. Um, but I don't know if that is a problem because so much of the time you can clean, clean them up pretty readily. And when you scope them, um, you know, that isn't so evidenced by examination that part of the racetrack they've inhaled. So I'm sure they get some of it, but it's not ever been tied in with development of equine asthma. I imagine too, they probably breathe out with such force mm -hmm. because yeah. at their full speed, they're cycling something like 40 liters a minute, I think it is. Yeah. Of air. Yeah. So they probably breathe out with enough force that they clear that. Yeah, and a lot of times we do have to blow it out of their eyes, and you see it in their nostril. But the one thing is, if you're bringing a horse off the track and there's a lot of coughing, you always call a vet to scope them because you want to know if they've had pulmonary bleeding or, or what's going on. And I have mm -hmm. to say, at the track, that's done pretty regularly. Um, the interesting thing there, actually, when you mentioned coughing, Nancy, is that the horses that had the mild to moderate equine asthma, sometimes they didn't cough. The cough seemed to only be intermittent, and it was more that they had a decreased performance. So I think that's probably why that number is so high and people don't realize. Yeah, maybe, because a lot of times um, you look at it as they're clearing you know, clearing their airway when they cough. But, um, you know, it's a little bit different between humans and horses. Uh, we're more prone to cough to clear the airway. Their cough is more of a, of a reflex. And I had 
have the one thoroughbred. Um, we raised him and we have him here on the farm and he had the paralyzed flapper. And, um, you know, we had the surgery and uh, had that flapper trimmed. And, um, you know, I do say that that surgery helped him as far as being able to breathe. Um, but it does have where if they lift their head while they're eating, they will cough to clear that. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a reflex because I think uh, things get hung up that epiglottis doesn't close when they go to swallow their food unless their head is below their withers. So that's why we kept him. We feed him off the ground and um, we just felt like his management because we chose to do that surgery we need to keep this horse and manage him correctly. Yeah. And that's what we did. And I enjoy him. He's taught me a lot about the, the horse and its airway. Um, but I was surprised, as you were, that a lot of this equine asthma is in cooler climates. So, you know, I, I looked it up, like, what is it? And a lot of them uh, noted that in the Northern Hemisphere, the spores that come from different grasses get airborne with windy and um, a little rain, wind. Those spores are more prone to fly into the air. So that's where that cooler weather seems to uh, increase the condition a little bit um, as far as in the northern climates. I suppose, too, that the horses in the colder climates, um, we probably have more breeds of horses that will be housed in stables or in big barns and are more likely to that the spores or the dust from the hay and kind of almost like the recycling of the air in the barn overnight if there isn't proper ventilation. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a lot of it. Um, I went to a lecture on this in the fall and that the veterinarian said, when it's cold, you open those windows. But if I have to make a call to your barn, I want those windows closed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I did find out that there's three grasses that tend to be linked with equine asthma and they're Bahia, Bermuda and Johnson grasses. And in the States, those tend to emit pollen and spores spring through the fall, depending on temperatures. So if you have warmer temperatures well into the fall, like we did last year, that Johnson grass is going to keep flowering. And that tends mm -hmm. to bother horses more. And I did not know that in Johnson grass is very prevalent in the Midwest in pastures. And then those three species of grass have over 100 species of fungi um, that come off of them. So I told Kate about a friend of mine that had a horse that was experiencing breathing problems and she referred to it as heaves. And uh, when she moved her horse to another uh, farm, it all went away. So there had to have been a grass that was pollinating or emitting spores um, that that horse was very sensitive to. And Nancy, this might be a stupid question, but 
if you had that problem on your farm, like what would you do? Would you tear up the fields and try and plant a different grass? No, probably I wouldn't. I have one gelding that every spring he gets like an itchy nose and he wiggles his nose and, and, you know, kind of uh, makes funny sounds for like two or three weeks in the spring. And I always attributed it to just spring allergies. So there's Mm -hmm. something that is coming out that he's getting probably out in the pasture. But you know, this is the whole thing, your grass kind of holds your pasture together. So if you tear up a pasture, you practically need to take the horses off of it, or it's going to be a mud hole the rest of the season. So I try to just overseed if there's something I don't like in there, or I try to use an organic solution to it. So Mm -hmm. like clover, you can, um, you know, be, tear up your clover a little bit and leave it in your field and that dying clover will emit nitrogen into your pasture if you're low on nitrogen so i try to research more natural solutions rather than uh, pulling the entire field and and starting over again but i will say the only thing i really dig up are weeds So if I see a a toxic weed, I'll get a shovel and go out there and dig them up because that's your best bet in managing them. Yeah. You know, I kind of treat my pasture like a garden and I manage it and weed it. And then you can manage a lot of your weeds by just keeping it cut and not letting it go to seed. And then those weeds will be, um, you know, taken over. They don't get that chance to spread, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I had, fortunately, Kate always laughs when I mention my old-timer friend. But he gave me a lot of good advice on managing pastures without always using chemicals or tearing it up. And I have to say, it's worked out very well. I think we need to write down, like, and keep track because... The advice and information like that has been passed down and passed down among so many generations. Yeah. And my worry is that somewhere along the way, it'll just get lost. You know, sitting down and talking to the old timer horse people like they have a wealth of knowledge and their knowledge. I mean, you can look at that as them being researchers in their fields because they have so much data. They have years and years of watching horses, working with horses. They just haven't formally written it up and formally made it a study, but they've gathered this the same way a researcher was. And, you know, I've always thought to to record him and then put it on the podcast. But unfortunately, he fell last week and broke his hip. 93 years of age. He went through surgery and went through surgery with flying colors, but he's in a rehab facility now. And he's just not in the right frame of mind to to record anything. But if he makes it through this rehab, I'm definitely going to get a recording of him. That would be lovely. 
you know, we could insert it. It's sometimes hard to understand him because he's from Southern Illinois and um, Oklahoma area, and he really has a cowboy drawl to him. But uh, we'll try and get him to talk about his life with horses because he at one point began with horses uh, in um, when he was 10 to 12 years of age, and he was born in 1929. So wow. that's during the Seabiscuit days. And he's got so many racehorse remedies that are so old time that um, I think we've kind of lost touch with that era and why they did certain things. And, you know, he told me one time when my horse, I wanted thought maybe I was missing something nutritional because the coat just wasn't as shiny as I thought it needed to be. And also um, I had, you know, wormed the horse and all that. And he said, oh my gosh, just go get some raw linseed oil and give it to that horse. She'll bloom. Well, there was no way I was going to do that. <laughs> so I looked up linseed oil and my gosh, it's flaxseed. So here we market that now under the term flaxseed. And I didn't even know that, you know. So yeah. anyway, little things like that, that, you know, you think, yeah, they did that in the 1930s and 40s, but it comes back as a different term or they market it to sell it under a different term. So, but um, anyway, it's amazing what they knew back then and how they all went on, um, you know, word of mouth, what someone, yeah. you know, it was, it's kind of neat, but anyway, um, the only other thing I wanted to say about this in case there is a listener that has a horse that goes through this is in the States, we usually see an exaggeration of asthma or an increase in the symptoms during the hot summer months. But um, it's also correlated with a higher dew point temperatures, which are also correlated with um, higher relative humidity. So that's not a surprise because that means there's more water in the air. So that would make it harder for them to pull oxygen out of, out of the air. And then also the um, fungi spore counts are higher in the mornings. So that's good to know. And, and if you have a horse, maybe talk to your vet about maybe having that horse in during the morning hours until that spore count gets less. And that would tie in with the last point I just wanted to make on this was they mentioned a study of young thoroughbred horses that cough during training in the morning. So that's obviously because of that spore count. But what they did was um, they did that tracheal bacterial culture and found that they had a bacterial burden, those horses that were coughing. The horses that didn't cough during the morning training either had no or small numbers of bacteria isolated from the wash. So that's just kind of something that you can visualize too. Um, and notice, as Nancy said, if your horse has symptoms in the morning, chat to your vet and see. Yeah. Um, do you think, Kate, they had a higher count um, because of they were allergic to the spores and so there was an inflammatory response. 
I think so. I think the spores are probably, I think this is where I'll trip myself up now because microbiology, oh. it's been a long time since I've done it. Well, we don't have to go there. <laughs> the, bacteria, the bacteria and the spores are different, but they will. So the if the spores or bacteria cause an inflammatory response, then they'll have an increased white blood cell count. That's like oh. a main indicator that we're having an inflammatory response in our bodies. And we can see that in blood sampling. I thought it was interesting. Um, my final point is that he said the bottom line is dust is driving inflammation and inflammation is bad for performing. Even with a small number of inflammatory cells. And I thought it was interesting that he went to the owners and said, It's probably your hay. And they were like, Oh, no, we have good hay, you know. And then when they actually examined the hay, it, it was good looking hay. But when he examined it, um, there were 33 fungal species. So that was, that kind of says you sometimes maybe just looking at the hay doesn't give you the whole picture. And even if you do have that good quality hay, soak it, you know, make sure you're soaking it before you give it. And that we talked about that in another episode too, because it lowers the sugar contents. Isn't yeah. that right, Nancy? Yeah. So it, it makes the hay healthier too. So yeah. soak the hay. Soak it, get that, you know, get the dust and those um, endotoxins or what's in mold. And then that elicits that neutrophilic response. Yeah. You know, I think that's everything I had on this one this week. That was, it's an open access um, article. So thehorse.com, if you want to go on and you can subscribe to you'll get emails with the different articles and updates, which is brilliant right to your inbox. Yeah, I've always, um, I like their articles because they kind of um, consolidate it into concise points. And uh, I hope um, the conference proceedings come out on this because it'll be interesting to actually see what, um, you know, what they're, procedures were to analyze all this so but anyway that that's all I had to Kate so it was uh, interesting and I know down under they're at the end of a very hot summer so they'll probably have a hot fall the way the temperatures have been crazy in Australia and New Zealand and the like and we're in our winter still so we'll be gearing up for those spring and summer issues again so you'll hear me complaining about the hot weather again <laughs> <laughs> it's nice though when it's brighter yeah it is it is that's true so all right well that's all I had in did you have any other announcements Kate just to say there's nine days left on the survey and we're hoping to get a higher response rate so what may happen is um, we, we've we extended the survey from before. So if you listen to other episodes, you probably hear us being like, there's two days left. But yeah. we have kept it open because we're hoping to get some more responses. It only takes a couple of minutes. If you would very kindly um, hop onto our Instagram or our Facebook pages, you can find the links 
It's also on the homepage on Anchor and Spotify. So if you could complete that, it is really useful because we will be um, completing a research paper based on your results. So you will be part of research, which will be great. Um, so please do take the time if you can. And then just to wish your friend Nancy a speedy recovery. Oh, thanks so much. I hope he does okay, you know. So he's not doing well with being confined in a rehab facility, but I told him if he gets fit enough, we can put him on a few horses at the track. And he said, I hope so. <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to everyone next week. And thanks, Kate. Brilliant. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.